Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. All right. Y'all are looking good today. Looking good. You excited? It's an awesome summer day. Yeah. Ada is. Chris is. A few of us are. Mom is. Hey, um, as my husband said, we're kicking off a new series today, which I'm really excited about because if you know me, you know I love change and I love things that are different and I love when we switch it up. And I know that that's not, are we switching? Are you switching it up on me right now? Okay. We good? We're good. Okay. So I love change. I love switching it up. Um, this is a series that's going to be a little bit different than our typical series. So you might be here for the first time and you might wonder if we always do this and we don't. Um, but this series is called Community. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be giving a somewhat smaller or shorter, if you will, message. And then we're going to have an opportunity directly following that message to create community here at Church 214. And that's going to help build the unity that we have in order to be able to be ready for the season that God's got us going into. So this is going to be really fun. And um, I'm excited just to help build the community here at this church. Technically, my title is the unity pastor here. And so my role, quite literally, is to help you be unified in the body of Christ. Now, that sounds fancy and exciting, and it is a lot harder than it might seem. So we figured today we would have lunch and build the community of people here at Church 214. So I hope you came hungry. I hope you brought your side to share. If you forgot, you may still eat. If you are a guest, we are excited to host you and to serve you lunch. It's going to be a really good time. Um, but as I always do this week, I just spent the time in, I, I literally go into my closet and I just ask Jesus in silence, what do you want to accomplish in this series? And um, I heard the Spirit say really clearly, he said, I want your attention. And church, I believe that God the Father is asking for your attention and he's being very specific about what he means. He is desiring your heart be turned towards his. He is turning the hearts of children, you and me, to himself. He said, I want your attention. And I've actually heard this phrase a few times in the last few months as I've prayed. I want your attention. And I believe the Lord is being very specific about that. He's wanting to draw every part of our sense to himself as a father, because our hearts have to be fixed on him for the season he's taking us into. So individually and corporately, Father God is desiring our undivided attention. And so over the next weeks and today, we're going to be pointing out biblical concepts that are going to help draw our attention to God the Father and going to help unify the vision of what it is he wants us to have. You guys in? Okay. All right, so turn with me to Acts chapter 2. This concept for this series comes right out of Scripture, and so we're going to focus on this verse and some other verses. But this is where the early church, this is where the early believers first formed a biblical community. Now, if you don't know, Acts 2 is also our namesake. Acts 2.14 is where we are named from. So I loved that this concept comes right out of the same chapter. It feels significant. So verse 1, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being 
saved. I love that it ends with that right there because we are seeing that. In the last six months, we have seen the Lord bring salvation in a wave that has been very noticeable. Like everybody has noticed that it's, it's going from the kids all the way up to the oldest people in this church. And God is moving very rapidly in those who are being saved. So I'm really excited about that. But I think that as Christ followers, community should be the way that we live. And you might say, well, why is that? Why do I need community? Well, you need community because we really need each other, okay? When life is really joyful and really fun, it's usually pretty easy to be excited about the joyful and the fun, isn't it? But when life starts to get a little bit heavy or rocky, that's typically when we actually need our people, right? When we need to rally our people and when we need to tell each other like, hey, I know you want to sleep in, you need to show up. And the important part is when we actually hear that instruction and we actually follow through. So good. So good. I felt the Lord say as I was down here worshiping that the reason he was going to break through in some people's lives today is because they set down their desire to control. They set down their stubbornness, and they showed up anyway. I thought, wow, that's really, really good. So today we're going to share a meal together. And the purpose of this is because we want to example to you what biblical communion is. Hi, Leah. You're off drill. Welcome to the family. I know you love to be pointed out, so I just thought I... Did you get off drill early? You took a break. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Leah's one of my best people in the church because she helps lead the young adults and makes it all awesome. So good job. Leah, we're just now talking about serving food. So you're right on time. Yeah. Um, So I just wanted to ask, do you think it gets any better than Jesus and food during church? Literally no. I cannot tell you the number of weeks I've sat in that chair when someone's preaching and thought, I could really go for chips and salsa right now. So we thought we'll merge the two, and I believe this is quite literally the foundation of building community is sharing meals together. This is one of my great passions in life because I I love good food, I love to serve good food, but my favorite, favorite thing is when I get to share a table with people I love. So you're going to see a picture of my family around my outdoor dining table, and yeah, those are my awesome kids, that's my hubby. He will hurt you if you try anything, as you just heard. But um, in our home, we try to make it a priority to have dinner together almost every single night of the week, um, except when we go on date nights um, or if we're here serving you in the house. But we try to do dinner every single night of the week or the majority of them. And one thing that we always do is we ask each other, what is the best thing that happened to you today? And it gives each other the opportunity to just kind of share their hearts and what has gone on. And it really does this cool thing where it creates a lot of joy and laughter, probably because Wilder is usually talking about something that I probably shouldn't mention here at the pulpit. But he just, he's our middle child, so he makes us laugh all the time. And um, his best things are usually pretty funny. So, but what this does is it unites our hearts, okay? So it nourishes us physically, but it unites our heart in the spirit realm. And it gives our children the space to share their thoughts. And it gives us the opportunity to look each other in the eye and give each other the the chance to tell their stories without too many interruptions. We're working on the interruption side of it. But um, this next picture is... Also, my family were at an outdoor cafe last year on my son Crosley's birthday, and we found this cool little cafe, and I stepped away from the table to capture this moment because I love it so much. If you notice, it looks like um, this wasn't even the funniest one, but my husband is telling a story, and as I was thinking about this, I actually believe the story he was telling was about a man shooting a firecracker out of his butt. So... I want you to know that not all communion is super somber and serious. Like, it can be fun. We can laugh during communion. But you'll notice the joy on the faces of my kids. And I think the other thing I noticed is that their hearts are being turned towards their father. And that is what biblical community and biblical communion does. It turns our heart towards 
the Father. Okay, this next picture is the 214 pastors dining together. This is my current dining room. And um, again, you'll notice the laughter on the faces. Now, I don't know what story David is telling in this photo, but I'm sure it was interesting and not brief. Um, <laughs> David, you're on vacation. If you're on the podcast, we love you. We miss you. Um, but I just, the, the laughter and the joy. There's always laughter and always joy. And that is critical because I think so often we've made the concepts of Jesus so somber and serious. And we've forgotten that we serve a God that is filled with joy. And he loves to give us joyful experiences. Um, but these, these moments of communion, they link our hearts to our Father. And biblical communion is what happens when we share meals together. Guys, if you've never opened your home and shared a meal with somebody... I'm challenging you do it this quarter. I won't say this week, because I know weeks get busy, but do it this quarter. Bring someone in that you may not otherwise have thought to bring in, and just tell stories. Like, hey, what is your story? And then sit and listen. Like, what is God doing in your life right now? It is a fantastic act. It'll give you so much laughter and joy as you dine with people, and you have face-to-face -face encounters to help create healthy community. Okay, so I think most people, if you hear the word communion, you probably picture a fairly um, traditional setting in a church or maybe at a mass, right? You picture a fairly somber ceremony. And I think that the act of communion has in some ways been reduced down to eating like just a morsel of bread and a swig of juice. Because, you know, heaven forbid we'd serve actual wine, people might get upset. But... Um, you know, where's that passage that says Jesus turned the water into juice? Where's that one? Oh, no, was it wine? I think it was wine. Um, but I think that so often we have made communion what looks more like a toddler snack time, where we just, like, grab a bite and we move on. And that communion is not toddler snack time. It's not where we, like, come and have a somewhat stale wafer and a swig of grape juice, and we move on. That's not what Jesus intended communion to be. But we've reduced concepts of Jesus to something he did not intend. So biblical communion is not toddler snack time. Briley, you can write that down. I know you like to take notes. You already wrote it down? Okay, good. We'll come back to that another time. But see, I believe that Jesus actually modeled communion as a shared meal. Okay, now hear me. I am not belittling the importance of a traditional communion setting. Like if we serve you communion in a few weeks and it's just bread and juice, um, I'm not belittling that. Hear my heart. I think that that is still important because it reminds us of the broken body of Jesus and the blood that he shed. That's the point of doing it in a setting like this, okay? But we need to know that there is no power in a simple act when we do it flippantly and we move on. That's toddler snack time. That happens in the toddler room, right? So we've got to make sure that our hearts are in a posture towards the Father when we are taking of this sacrifice he made for us. When, we're, when we are acknowledging, Jesus, you literally paid the ultimate price for me. That is why I have the freedom to sit here and commune with you. That is why I can receive the gift that you gave me is because of your sacrifice. So, yes, I, I suggest that we take it seriously, but I also suggest that we have the joy of Jesus in communion. We good with that? Everybody happy? Are we all happy about it? Okay. You're happy about it, Chase? Okay, good. Okay, turn to Luke chapter 22. This is where we get the model for communion. Now, you're also, some of you have maybe heard it called the Last Supper, and I know my friend Ely, um, Ethan Ely, who's a farmer, he loves that because he feels like he calls dinner supper, and so he feels like it's very biblical that he calls it supper. Um, in fact, when he first asked, on, on Saturday, I get to marry Ethan and Brianna out, out of their farm, and um, yeah, that's exciting. But when he first, um, Brianna texted him and asked him out to coffee, and he said, how about supper? And she sent me a screenshot, and she's like, he calls it supper. That's cute. But yeah. Well, so, Ethan, it's biblical when you're listening on the podcast. He leads in another church. So when you're listening, you're biblical to call it supper. Okay, so Luke 22, verse 1. 
The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Yeah, no kidding. Verse 3, Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples. And he went to the leading priest and the captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted. And they promised to give him money. So he agreed, and he began looking for an opportunity to portray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds were not around. Here's the Last Supper. Verse 7. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead, and he said, Go and prepare a Passover meal so that we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. Yeah, that's not creepy, right? Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher has asked, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. Now, I want us to pause here. Some of you have told me that you find reading this scripture a bit boring and dull. I want to challenge you as you read, look for things you've maybe never seen in the text, okay? I'm going to point out two people right now that you've probably never noticed in this text because the text is all about the Last Supper. But I want us to pause here because this is so thought-provoking. Let's imagine these two unnamed men in this story, okay? Jesus doesn't name the men. He says, just find a man and follow him and walk into the house that he goes to. Number one, the owner of the home. Who is this man? Did he just randomly wake up on, let's say, a Tuesday or Thursday morning and think to himself, I think I'm going to make a banquet in my upstairs bedroom. Yes, I think I'm going to turn my guest bedroom into a banquet hall today. That seems like a good idea. Fairly random. Or maybe, maybe he owned a restaurant. Maybe the upper part of his home was like a cafe, like an amazing cafe in Jerusalem that now would be super in vogue to go and take Instagram pictures at. You know, maybe he was an influencer. Maybe he had this really cool upper room cafe. But who instructed him to set set it up for that day? Was it just a random idea or was he tuned in to the voice of God giving him that instruction that day? Number two, consider the man who was carrying the jug of water. Again, unnamed, random man carrying water. It was not customary for men to be the ones carrying the water. That was the job of the women and the older children. So you would have to ask, why was a man carrying a jug of water midday? Through, through Jerusalem. Did he, did he feel like an idiot? Was it not beneath him? Perhaps he was a servant. Perhaps he was a servant of the owner of the super trendy cafe in the upper room, in which case he had to carry the water, but he was still a man. Why wasn't there someone other than a man carrying the water? Maybe he was the son of the owner of the home. Maybe he decided to go on a workout, and it was super humid. We walked in here today, and the system had shut down, and so it was so humid. Maybe it was super trendy to carry your Stanley everywhere you go, and that's what he was doing. Hydrate! This is how I read the Bible. Maybe this is why I like it. I don't know. But see, the Bible doesn't specify why these men were asked to prepare this room. It just tells us that they did. And so somebody had to have prompted them to prepare the space. Now, I had to prompt people to help me prepare the space for lunch today. It didn't just show up, right? And so Jesus, too, had to prompt some people to prepare the space for the Last Supper that he knew was coming right? So to us, it feels like really insignificant that a man would prepare a banquet space and a man would carry water, but it wasn't customary for the men to do these jobs. Are you with me? Okay. 
do not ever underestimate the instructions the Holy Spirit gives you. If you are called to carry a jug of water down the street, you carry the jug of water. If you are called to prepare your guest room for what you know God has coming and everyone thinks you're crazy, prepare the guest room. On Wednesday, I heard a word for someone, and I believe it's for right now. Holy Spirit said, the thing you think is beneath you is the exact role God is asking of you right now. He said, your next appointment will not come until you are willing to prepare the room and carry the water. Verse 13. They went off to the city and they found everything just as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal there. So clearly these two men obeyed the promptings they had to prepare the home and to carry the water. These were seemingly simple tasks, but they were actually instructions for Jesus on mission. Verse 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Now pause here. Do you think those two men had any clue that they were literally preparing the space for the most historic meal of all time? I bet they had no clue when they woke up on that random morning and started to prepare that space, that literally thousands of years later, we would still be talking about that supper. Jesus said, I have been very eager to get this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins, for I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Then he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So see, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And that's why we do biblical communion here. That's why we also challenge you all the time. Get face-to-face -face with people. That is communion. Verse 20. After supper, Jesus took another cup of wine, and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So see, communion is about Jesus, yes, his sacrifice. It's also, though, about the covenant we have with God our Father. So when we reduce communion to a religious act, we are foregoing the covenant that God intended to build with his people. This week I was thinking about communion, and I realized that many people in the modern day church have made communion actually the responsibility of the church. Um, kind of like prayer. Like, can you imagine if you expected that the only time you ever prayed was when you were in a church building and your pastors led you in prayer? That would be ridiculous, right? Can you imagine if the only time you ever said the words like, oh, praise God, like he's given me this incredible breakthrough in my job. But can you imagine if the only time you ever gave God praise was in a church building when your pastors or your leaders said, hey, come on, we're going to give God some praise. Like, you got that job breakthrough you needed? No, that would be crazy, right? So likewise, it is crazy to think that the only time we experience biblical communion is when we do it in a traditional setting, in a church building, served by your leaders. It is not the responsibility of the church to give you the act of communion. I think that so often we've given these big concepts that Jesus has for us in spiritual disciplines and we've reduced it to a checklist. The world says that we get to have everything that we want whenever we want it, the exact way we want it. And I think we've started to do that with our church settings too and this is so dangerous because this is not about us. 
This is not about me, and this is not about you. But we have these ideas of like, serve me worship, check. Do it the way I like it. Not too loud, not too quiet. We want a few dance songs, but not too many. Don't make it too long. I don't like to stand that long. Check. We've made it about us. Serve me a great message that I can connect to on a personal level, but please don't give me too much conviction. That makes me feel awkward. Check. Serve me communion every probably four to six weeks would be great. Can you make sure it's served the week I'm there? We have a crazy sports schedule. I can only be there on the sixth Sunday. Check. Could I have a title in the church that makes me feel valued? I have a lot of gifts that God wants to use, but they only work on a stage. They only work on a stage if people are present. Check. And we've reduced the concepts of Jesus to a worldly checklist. This is painful for me too. This is convicting for me too. I told my friend Sarah, I randomly stopped by her house yesterday morning and she was having time with Jesus on her patio in her jammies. And I don't, I'm usually not that friend, don't worry. I won't do that very often. Well, maybe I will, I don't know. I'll tell you that story later. Um, and she's like, hey, how you doing? She's so cheerful and bubbly. And I was like, I'm good. I need to go home and lay in my closet because I have this gunk in my heart right now that I just experienced a few minutes ago. And I need to go deal with it so that I can get up here and talk about Jesus to y'all so I can get my heart back on the Father, right? Because for a minute, my heart was on how I felt. Check. We've made it all about me. Serve me. Serve me. Serve me. Check. 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 And as soon as we can't check the box, what do we do? We bail. Next. I'm going to find a church that serves communion every single week. We're going to be biblical. I'm going to find a church that'll let me be on the band. Even though I'm not gifted in music, I feel I should be on the band. It is not your church's responsibility to fulfill the things of God in your life. It's your responsibility, okay? I love you. I hope you can feel my love oozing out for you. Again, verse 20 said, After supper, he took another cup of wine, and he said, This cup is my new covenant between God and his people. Church, communion is the sign of relational help, health between God and you. That is communion. I love that scripture is full of stories that tell about Jesus having meals with others. It doesn't say over and over that he had traditional communion because I believe he saw communion as a meal with other people. So he's walking along the road one day and he says, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. Let's go to your house. We're having dinner. We're having supper. Zacchaeus, Let's make a supper together. And I have a feeling that Jesus did not get to the house and sit down and just say, okay, what are you going to make for me? Serve me dinner. Where's that water that I'm going to turn into wine? Come on, bring it to me. I have a feeling that Jesus got right in there in the preparation, right in the mix of it. He's like, what are we making? We have turnips? Is that all we have? Turnips are the only thing that came out of the garden today, Dalton? Yeah, turnips. Okay, we're making turnips. Somebody go kill a wild turkey. We need something to go with turnips. I think Jesus was in the middle of it all, showing them how we do biblical communion. Jesus was judged by the most religious people because he ate with the sinners. The worst of the worst, right? The prostitutes, the tax collectors, like the, the grub of the day. Jesus is like, I'm coming to your house for dinner. 
Yet Jesus was building community through sharing meals, through sharing communion. One of my favorites, I've preached on this before, but it's when Jesus prepared breakfast for the disciples on the beach. Right? So the disciples have been beat to death on the sea. They're discouraged. They're downcast. They feel their hope is gone. They've had the worst, one of the worst nights. And you know what, though? Joy came in the morning when they realized the Savior's on the beach and he's making us breakfast. Does it get better than Jesus making you breakfast? It is my strong belief that sharing a meal with others is the best way to build community. You hear each other's hearts. You give each other the space to be vulnerable. You give each other the opportunity to speak into your lives words of encouragement. It is incredible. So I want to see a show of hands. I want everybody to be super honest, okay? No judgment. Show me your hand if you feel like you have really healthy, vibrant community that is encouraging and life-giving to you. Alex, are you like up or down? I can't tell. Halfway? You're halfway? Okay. Okay, most of you, many of you. Now, let me know, show me your hand if you feel like maybe your community, community feels like it's lacking a little bit. It's okay, you can be honest, you can be vulnerable. There's a reason for this. There's going to be a payout. Okay, so if you feel like your community, like maybe you have people, but when you sit down and you try to dine with them or you try to do life with them, it doesn't feel like it points your heart to the heart of the Father. Or you leave and you feel kind of yucky. Okay, is, is that anybody? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. A few. Okay, church, I want you to look around really quick. Leave your hands up. Don't be shy. Church, we have the opportunity to pull these people into better community. Okay? So what I want you to do is here, when we're going to have dinner in just a minute, I want you to interact with these people, and I want you to set up a time to meet for a meal. Okay? You don't have to have them in your home, though I would recommend it. But it is so life-giving to create community for people. Also, though, if you raise your hand and you feel lacking, invite someone into your home. Set up the dinner appointment. Don't wait for somebody to create community for you because you might have the gift of initiating and building community in order to bring people together. This will help unify your hearts with others and what God wants to do. I think that Jesus' model for his disciples is so important. We see that he says to his disciples, he says, the leader is the one who serves, right? The leader is the one who serves. That's one of my favorite things about coming here on Sunday morning is, is when we get here, I look around and everywhere I see leader, 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 leader. Not by title necessarily, but by service, cleaning the toilets. My little nephew putting oils in the diffuser so that it smells nice when you go to the restroom. He's two and a half years old. He's serving. He's emulating the heart of Jesus for the church of Jesus through serving. Luke 22, verse 24. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be greatest among them. Okay, side note, this is the same story. So they're having this biblical communion. Jesus is talking to them about these really important things, and the disciples are arguing. Sound familiar? God can be doing the most amazing things, and we still find options to argue. Unbelievable. So they're arguing, and Jesus tells them, in this world, the kings and the great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves." So I believe it's critical that if we want to create true biblical community, that we are the ones who serve, okay? Not that we serve ourselves to death, not that we become unhealthy and unbalanced in doing it, but when our heart posture is to serve 
And Jesus, you want me to carry the water? I'll carry the water. Jesus, you need me to prepare the room? I'll prepare the room. Jesus, you need me to learn how to preach? I've never preached, Jesus. Learn how to preach. I'm calling you to the next appointment. And until you prepare the room and until you prepare the water, you're not going to be prepared to preach. So do what seems menial. And if you feel grumpy about the menial, you're probably not ready for the next appointment. Jesus said, those who serve are the leaders. So a key component to true community is getting to know one another. Do you agree with that? Like you have the most fun at a dinner when you really truly know the people, right? When you can go from moments of complete seriousness to gut laughter, right? That's comfort. So along with Kip and um, my children, my sisters are my best friends. They are like, I, I think that they're like the best people on the planet outside of my husband and my kids because um, they're just really incredible. But the cool thing about them is that they know the best parts of me and they know the worst parts about me and they stay. So it's so cool because I can literally melt down in front of them or I can shine in front of them and they still celebrate it, right? That's true biblical community. That is healthy men and women of God coming around side you. So those are the people that I have at my table most frequently. Like they get, they have like frequent flyer passes. They can just cash them in whenever they want. And that's who we've chosen to do really close-knit community with. Now, I know not everybody has that. And so my prayer over you is that if you feel lacking in that, is that God would begin to show you, to illuminate who your community is. Because we've seen in the last months here where people have been literally praying, God, we need some godly biblical community. And he plucked them up and he plopped them here at Church 214. And I think now they've got more community than they know what to do with. And at times we might even be like a little too in their face because we're like, we're your community. Here we are. Here we are. Family has arrived. But if you need community, I would just say pray about it. Ask God, God, give me true, genuine community that I can encounter the heart of the Father through these faces, and I believe he will do it. This last picture is a picture of Holly's family. That's, um, this is what, the cutest person on the entire planet right here. You can't see him, but even his profile's cute. Um, Augie, the, the reason I want you to see this is because you can do community in a really chill, really last-minute way. That's one of my favorite ways is when we're texting and we're like, hey, let's do dinner tonight, and we make it happen in just an hour's notice or whatever. It does not have to be prepared, you know, thought out four or six weeks in advance. I was walking through TJ Maxx the other day, and I heard these two ladies, probably in their 60s, they, they see each other, and they're like, oh, my goodness, Linda, it is so good to see you. I haven't seen you in so long. Girl, let's get lunch. And I'm walking, and I stopped, and I just said, schedule the lunch right now. And they looked at me. They were like, what? I said, schedule the lunch right now. Because if you don't, you are not going to do it. And they looked at me, and they were like, girl, you are so right. <laughs> schedule the lunch. I think that... Um, when we give the opportunity to ourselves to practice a concept, to hear a concept and then practice it, we are way more likely to actually implement it, which is why I love this series, because we're going to teach you about a concept, and then we're going to give you the opportunity to implement it. So here in a few minutes, when we sit face-to-face -face and we have lunch, I want you to ask each other stories, and I want you to listen, okay? We all know what the weather is. We don't need to talk about that, okay? We all know where each other works. We don't need to talk about that. Talk about the goodness of God in your life. Say, hey, Brett, what's God doing in your life right now? And then let Brett talk. You know, everything Brett says, you don't need to be like, oh, yeah, this one time my Aunt Susie, she brought this macaroni and cheese. It was amazing. And Brett's like, that's not what I was talking about. Like, listen to one another. Give them the space to tell their stories, okay? Sorry, Brett, you're on the spot now. You better have really good stories to tell. <laughs> so we're going to be asking in this series, how do we unify our community further? 
And this is so cool because I feel that we are already so unified. The work Jesus has done here in the last couple of years has been incredible. Our hearts are truly linked, but we get to practice it. Okay? So Ephesians 4 speaks of the unity of the body. Paul is writing this, and he's literally in chains. He says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Some of you need to remember that. You have been called by God. Always be humble and be gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and there is one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, to the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. That is the responsibility of your church leaders is to equip you to do God's work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and our knowledge of God's Son. Some of us need to pick up our Bible and actually read about who God is. Read the Bible. Just this morning, I wrapped up a two-and-a-half-year-long study on the chronological study of God's word and it was so powerful and impactful this bible is literally noted front to cover of things I've never noticed before simply because I said God I'm going to do this strategic chronological study and I want you to show me things I've never seen do it pick up God's word and read about who he is don't just say that you know Jesus read about who he is ingest it Verse 14, then you will no longer be immature like children. You won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. You will not be influenced when people try to trick you and lie so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his, of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I love that Jesus outlines the way we experience community and unity in the body of Christ. These quick things as we close, I want you to notice. So the responsibility of the church leadership is to equip God's people to do his work, to do God's work. It's not about us. It's about what God the Father wants of us. He says this will continue until we have such unity in our faith and in our knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. May we ask ourselves every day, God, I feel like throwing a fit right now. But recall to me that I am mature in the Lord, that I may measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ Jesus. Unity means that we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed all around with every new wind of teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with clever new teaching. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. We will grow in every way more and more like Christ because he is the head of this body. Because unity as a church is our goal. That is the goal of true community. In culture, we see the opposite happening. We see lines of segregation being drawn. We see things being celebrated about how we are different instead of bringing us together and celebrating how we are alike. We see families being encouraged to pursue whatever's good for the individual, and we've completely lost the concept of a family vision. God places us in family for a reason. So I believe that in this series, Jesus is going to point out to us how we are faithfully devoted to unity. And it's going to be in these ways, very quickly, through the word, through communion, sharing meals, through prayer, signs and wonders, worship, 
and generosity. See, as Christ followers, we have this incredible example that we need to give to the world of how we love one another, of how we do community. And it looks nothing like the way the world is doing it. It contrasts it. Earlier this year, um, it, this was so unexpected to me, but God showed me my next assignment in ministry. And it was it took me by surprise when I realized that it was actually um, an assignment to help fulfill one of my husband's most lifelong dreams. And that dream was to own land and to have the opportunity to give our kids the space to grow up in an environment that speaks to their souls. And um, it's like, even though we've talked about this for our entire marriage, 19 years, and we've talked about this concept with our closest people for over a decade, it's like God just hit me with this massive surprise and I did not see it coming. So in three weeks, we are moving locally. We're staying local. We're still called to this church. We're still called to this region, but we're moving locally to a large piece of land with two other families with the purpose of creating intentional community. And I am so excited about this, which is shocking because during COVID, we bought a home and renovated it top to bottom. And it's literally like my dream home, literally my dream home. But that's how I know God is in it because none of my earthly possessions have kept me tied to what was. Y'all, I sold my boat in order to carry the water for Jesus. My boat was part of my love language. My wakeboard was part of my love language. But we knew that God was creating something new. And so we had to make space and resources to make time and space for what God wanted to do. Big deal, big steps. But the coolest thing about this is I have seen God build community through it because these incredible friends who I never expected for them to say like, hey, what is the vision God has for you and for the tapes? What's the vision? And them go, you know what? We want to sow into the vision. I could have not been more shocked if I'd woken up with my head stapled to this floor when they said, we're in. We want to financially support the vision. What? in the world. But I believe it's because we don't do community the way the world does. We do community in a way that's sacrificial. We do community in the way that says, Jesus, you said emulate. Emulate what you show. We give up anything for the sake of what God's doing next. And God has been in literally every single detail. The minute I'm like, oh gosh, this would be this door, if this door closes, the whole, like all, everything falls, every domino falls. And yet God is like, open door, walk through, open door, walk through, open door, walk through. We had three homes sell in a matter of literally days for over asking with no contingencies. That does not happen. Incredible, incredible God things that could only be chalked up to God being in the details. But I believe it's because he's asking us, hey, guys, prepare the room. Prepare the space. Carry the water. Carry the water. You're not going to wakeboard on the water. You're going to carry the water, Heidi. Okay? So we cannot underestimate what God is doing right here, right now. And every little detail he speaks to you, be willing. Yes, Lord. I will do whatever it takes. So share meals together. Even in this crazy busy season, I forgot to tell our host team about the meal today and the details because my life is on fast forward right now. But we've not neglected to still do face-to-face -face dinners with our people because it keeps our hearts linked. Okay, so I get it. Life is so busy and we all have the opportunity to be like, gosh, I just, I don't have the cycles to do life with people at my table or even meet at Brienzo's for a dinner because my life is just too full. If that's where you're at in life right now, I would challenge you to offload some responsibilities and get face-to-face -face with the people of God, people who are going to lift your spirits and encourage you and point you to the heart of the Father because out of this will flow joy and laughter and community and the biblical communion that Jesus modeled to us. 
You get it? Okay, let's pray. Jesus, I pray right now that if there is anyone in this space that needs biblical community, Lord, that you would align conversations even today as they sit face-to-face with your people to illuminate to them who they're supposed to be doing life with. Lord, I pray that if the person's not in this place, that you would bring them to this place in order to build those bonds. Jesus, we say right now that as a church, we are with you heart and soul. We are willing to prepare the room and we are willing to carry the water and we don't even care if our names get mentioned because we just want to obey you. So I pray right now, as we get ready to dine together, that you would do a work in our hearts that only you can do, that you would do a work that only experiencing you can accomplish. That if every word I've spoken falls short and they remember nothing I said, I I pray that they would remember the experience of dining together, of sharing a meal together, and that our hearts will forever know your concept of communion is not toddler snack time it is face to face encounters with the men and women of God in order to build our covenant relationship with your father we love you Jesus I pray that if there is a non-believer sitting in this space that you would tug on their heart right now if you're in this room and you do not know Jesus I would invite you to come have a conversation with me afterwards because I would love to tell you about the savior who gave his life for you And probably if you were in a traditional setting and communion was being offered, you actually wouldn't be invited to the table if you do not know Jesus. But I'm telling you today that no matter who you are or what you've done or what went on in your day yesterday, you're invited to this table because we want you to know the love of Jesus. We want you to experience who he is in your life. So Jesus, I pray that you would accomplish here in our midst everything you have in mind. Would you bind our hearts together and would you unite us for your glory? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.